0: What does the Bible say about people who go to a church that doesn't have an invitation? They declare Jesus Savior, are they saved? It's this week's Cross Culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: I thought Jesus was the foundation of the church. He is. But which Jesus do you believe in? Because what you believe about Jesus, that's doctrine. What you believe about God, that's doctrine, determines what Jesus we're really talking about here.
0: Doctrinal truth. It's probably not the flashiest of subjects, but knowing what you believe is true is vitally important.
1: Some people believe in a Jesus that would never condemn anyone to hell, and yet the Jesus of the Bible seems to have no qualms about God's justice and righteousness and God's expectations for holiness in our lives. Some people believe in a Jesus that didn't bodily rise from the dead, but the Jesus of the Bible was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses after he was dead. Your doctrine, what you believe about God, really does matter.
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today we begin a brand new series here at Crosswalk entitled Colossians, It's All About Him. The church at Colossi was beginning to experience false doctrine creeping into its midst. Both Jewish and Eastern religions were bringing false teachings into the church that threatened the doctrinal purity of the church. Today we still see false ideas about Christ in our culture and sadly in too many churches.
1: It's like a canter and it begins to eat away at God's true doctrine, which is the foundation of the
0: church. To combat this, the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the church to instruct them in what is the truth when it comes to Jesus and how it should impact our lives. Paul exposes the false teachings and helps us understand the importance of correct doctrine. Now, here's Pastor Clay with this week's crosswalk message.
1: Holy, holy. Welcome to Colossae. It was a city about a hundred miles east of Ephesus in what is known as the Lycus Valley where the material lycra was first manufactured. <laughs> Ernie's not to it. No, that's not true. Lycra was not. I made that up, but that's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> But it, but it points out uh, something important. It points out the purpose, the primary purpose for the Apostle Paul writing this letter that we're going to spend the next number of weeks working through. False doctrine had begun to seep into the church at Colossae. False teaching, false doctrine. And false doctrine, ladies and gentlemen, is like a cancer. When it, when it gets into a person's life, when it gets into a church, it's like a cancer, and it begins to eat away at God's true doctrine, which is the foundation of the church. So you might say, well, now, wait a minute, I, I, I thought Jesus was the foundation of the church. He is. But which Jesus are we talking about? Which Jesus do you believe in? Because what you believe about Jesus, that's doctrine. What you believe about God, that's doctrine, determines what Jesus we're really talking about here. For instance, Mormons will tell you that they believe in Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus that's revealed in the New Testament. It's just not. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that they believe in Jesus, but it is a different Jesus that I understand from the pages of God's Word. Even Muslims hold Jesus in high esteem. Did you know that? But He's not the same Jesus that we find on the pages of God's Word. Which Jesus do you believe in? Some people believe in a Jesus that would never... um, that would never judge a person's personal life choices or would never condemn anyone to hell. And yet the Jesus of the Bible seems to have no qualms about God's justice and righteousness and God's expectations for holiness in our lives. Some people believe in a Jesus that wasn't actually born of a virgin because they say that that doesn't really matter and that's a supernatural event and knows that, that you can't be born ...from a virgin, but the Jesus of the Bible sure was. Some people believe in a Jesus that didn't bodily, physically rise from the dead. But the Jesus of the Bible, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the Jesus of the Bible... ...was seen by more than 500 eyewitnesses after he was dead. Up walking around. Your doctrine, what you believe about God, really does matter. Now, I'll confess... It may not be the flashiest subject that we could talk about over the next several weeks. But nothing is more important than doctrine. Understanding what it is that you believe. The Apostle Paul had never been to Colossae. But he had a heart for all of the churches. For all of the people of God wherever they were. He did apparently have a hand in the founding of the church at Colossae. If you piece together some of the writings from his other letters and you you put them with the accounts of his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, you come to find out that a man named Epaphras, who was from Colossae, was in Ephesus at the same time that Paul was. And he heard Paul preach. He heard the word of God, he believed the message of Christ, he received the message of Christ into his life, and get this, Epaphras took that message of Christ back to Colossae, where he was from, and founded the church there. Huh, there's a novel idea, to take the Christ that you hear about, the Christ that you believe in, the Christ that you receive, and to take that Christ wherever you go. There's a novel idea. No, not really, huh? No, it's, it's always been the method, hasn't it? For spreading the gospel, the, the good news of Christ. You and I hear the message of Christ. You and I believe the message of Christ. You and I receive the message of Christ. And you and I take the message of Christ wherever we go. That's why I'm always, by the way, that's why I'm always um, bugging you about stuff like give out iVite cards, stick one of them cross culture decals uh, in your window, uh, wear a cross culture piece of clothing, pull from off of our uh, uh, store on the website, get some. By the way, just last night, um, w- there was a wedding last night. Uh, there, some of you may know Michelle Fletcher and Stephen Gordon are part of. Of uh, cross culture. They got married uh, last night and the wedding w- went a little long. And, uh, and so Cindy knows that Saturday nights I really like to spend a lot of time trying to you know, just go over my message, spend time in prayer and that kind of thing. And so she just ran me on home and then she had to go out to Lowe's uh, to get some things. And while she was at Lowe's, uh, I guess it was the, this was the checkout guy, she, she said, she was telling me when she came back, she was talking to a young man um, and began to talk about uh, our church and uh, he said, what's the name of your church? And she said, cross-culture church. And he said, he just kind of looked at her, kind of smiled. He said, and, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think this is what it was. I try to listen to my wife and what she says. Um, uh, and he said, God has a funny way of working. And so he said, why is that? She said, and, and he said, earlier today, a guy came in here wearing a cross-culture t-shirt. And, and uh, the young man said, and I, I looked at that shirt and I thought, wow, that's a, that's a neat name for a church. And so he began to sense that perhaps God was, was talking to him uh, about something. And maybe he should come try this place out. And so he had a chance to share with him and talk with him a little bit more. But that's why I'm always, I'm always saying, because we we, you just don't, you don't, don't even know how God can work or what God can do. That's why I'm always asking us to, to, to invest in uh, Love Your Neighbor Day events like Public Safety Day or, 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 or Family Fun Day. I'm not going to ask her to come up here. I, I had asked her, and she was willing to do it. But, but Ashley Vaughn is a young lady uh, who's been attending cross-culture for about five or six weeks now. Um, Ashley and I had a chance to meet this past week. And um, Ashley was telling me that she first came uh, to a public safety day event that cross-culture Uh, did with the fire departments we work with first came last year year before last i can't remember which but came to a public safety day event with her brother who is a fireman with one of the departments that we work with that we invest in and ashley noticed that we were there and we were serving food and we were doing all that stuff and she didn't come but uh she kept driving by she kept seeing our signs and so finally ashley came about as i said five or six weeks ago Last week, Ashley gave her heart and her life to Jesus Christ. Listen, this is good. Here's what she said to me. Now, I'm not even making this up. Uh, I would. If I'd have thought of this, I'd lie about this. This, is, this was good. No, I wouldn't really lie. But she said, you know what she said to me? She said, cross culture is like a drug. I was thinking about it later. I laughed. Yeah, we're all, that's us. We're drug dealers. That's our job. We're drug dealers. She said, she said cross culture is like a drug. I can't get enough of it. She said, I cry every service I go to. She said, I just, I just, I just love it. She said, I started reading the Bible. And um, Ashley was telling me, she said, I have a lot of friends that, that come to me and sometimes ask me questions or ideas, thoughts, accounts, whatever. So she's, she's talking to all of her friends and her family members now about Jesus. Well... As you could probably guess, if, if you've ever tried to do this, they're, they're looking at her like she's half crazy, right? But I, I'm, I'm telling you I'm just half crazy enough to think that God will use Ashley to bring some of her friends and family members into a relationship with Christ. That, that's how it works. That's, that's how he does it. That just like he did with Epaphras in Colossae in the first century. We hear this message, we receive this message, and we go and we tell this message. I'm excited for Ashley and her life in Christ, but I know there's so many others out there. Colossae uh, really was kind of a city on the backside of its heyday by the time Paul wrote this letter. It had once been a very thriving uh, metropolitan type area in the, in the crossroads of east meets west on the trade routes. But Colossae had kind of been upstaged by some of its neighboring cities, and it it wasn't all that it once had been, although it was still uh, at least what we would call a, a large town, maybe a small city. It apparently had a, a fairly large Jewish uh, sec, sec, section of the population, and it was uh, some of this this various religious ideas and philosophies that had been carried into the city along with the goods that were being transported on the trade routes. It was those types of things that had begun to infect the church in Colossae. And so Paul writes to deal with it. Paul writes to deal with false doctrine. Like I said, over the next several weeks... It may not be the flashiest subject matter that we could cover, but there's nothing more important in your life than understanding the danger of false doctrine and the importance of proper, true, biblical doctrine. Colossians uh, was originally written, I think I said this already, as a letter. Paul wrote it as a letter to the church in Colossae. Today, it's in chapters and verses, as all the Bible is, Uh, to make it easier for us to read. That's the reason it's divided into chapters and verses. It's, It's so that it's easier for us to read. Colossians is divided into four chapters, but with one single focus, him. Jesus Christ is the single focus of the book of Colossians. There's much discussed and talked about, but the single focus is him. In the next several weeks, we will look at five different areas or aspects about this focus on Christ. They break down and look like this. If you want to fill in those blanks, feel free to do so. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, which we'll try and get to this morning, you have Christ presented. Who this is that, that Paul is writing about and these, this church was founded upon, Christ presented. Presented. In chapter 1, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 15, you have Christ preeminent, the exalted one, the, the Savior, the, the God man. It's Christ preeminent. In chapter 2, verses 16, through the end of the chapter, you have Christ protected. And I'll explain what that means when we get there. In chapter 3, you have Christ practiced. In other words, the reality of living out this idea of following Christ. And Paul gets very practical about it in the marriage, in the home, in in the workplace, all of those types of things. And then in chapter 4, you have Christ proclaimed. Those are the five areas that we're going to take a number of weeks to break down and look at. Colossians chapter 1 is where we begin this morning. Verse 1, and we'll go through verse... 14, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also, it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it, and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, who, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Christ presented. Now... Let's talk a little bit about that idea before we dive into some particulars. One of the things that you may notice, if you, if you read, I was talking to somebody this morning, I told them, man, I've started reading Colossians, that first chapter, especially over and over again, kind of getting ready for your, for your series. One of the things that you may notice, you may pick up on as you read the book of Colossians is that nowhere in the book of Colossians does the Apostle Paul refer to Jesus only as Jesus. He always connects Jesus to Christ in Colossians. Not so in some of his other letters where he might refer to just Jesus. Nothing wrong, by the way. Nothing wrong with just saying Jesus. But Paul doesn't do it in the book of Colossians. He never refers to Jesus as Jesus alone. It is always Jesus connected with Christ. Paul is trying to establish from the very beginning, because of the false doctrine that had begun to to enter into the church, Paul is establishing right from the very beginning who this Jesus is. Just to, uh, For some of you, a your course. For some of you, this may be the first time that you've seen this sort of stuff. If you want to take notes on it, feel free to do so. But we'll, we'll move through it fairly quickly. The name Jesus um, is Greek. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. Jesus is a Greek word. It's, it's just trans, it's transliterated. It's literally just brought over into our English text just the way it is basically in, in Greek. It's a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua. The, the Jews would have said, uh, they would have said Yeshua. When they wrote the New Testament in Greek, it was Jesus. In English, as a hard J, it would be Joshua, Yeshua, Joshua. The name means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is the, is the personal name, what the Hebrews would have... The, the, the Jews, the personal name of God, was Yahweh, the, the, the I am. Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh, God, is salvation. Christ is a title. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ is, is, is means the same thing. In Greek, it was Christ or Christos. In in uh, in Hebrew, it was Messiah. Sometimes, if you if you're ever around uh, someone, sometimes called a, a completed Jew, a Jewish person who's come into relationship with Jesus Christ, you may hear them in prayer or in just talking about. They'll say something like uh, Yeshua Hamashiach, Yeshua, uh, Jesus, the Messiah. It means anointed. It's a title. It's not Jesus' last name. <laughs> it's his title. He's Jesus. Salvation is God. He's Jesus the Christ. In um, uh, Matthew chapter one, if I can back up a little bit, uh, angel tells Joseph, who's you know kind of freaking out about Mary being pregnant, and he knows he hadn't had sex with her. And he said, and the angel explains to to her to him, "Chill, it's okay, it's the God thing, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Salvation, God is salvation." For it is he who will save his people from their sins. It was a very common name in Jesus' day. A a lot of people, uh, a fairly large number of people would have named their children Yeshua, Jesus. Okay, why does all this matter? Because part of the false doctrine that was entering into the church there in Colossae was, was to diminish or downplay the deity of Christ. In other words, to to downplay the fact that Jesus was God. Some of the, some of the false doctrines, some of the Eastern philosophies, and some, some of the other stuff that was entering in was was focusing more on the humanity of Jesus and less on the deity of Jesus. More about this man and less about God. That's Listen, that's important. It was important then. It's important still for us today. Because still today, there are people that want to Make Jesus into less than who he is. Um, Somebody tell me what's the the books and the movie where the the Da Vinci Code was kind of part of it was kind of based on the idea that that Jesus you know had had sex and had a wife and had sex and had baby had children and that sort of thing to to humanize it to make Jesus very much this uh, man. Some people want to make Jesus the teacher. Some people want to make Jesus the humanitarian, but he's much more than all of those things. And so Paul is establishing from the get-go, this is Jesus the Christ. This is the anointed one. This is the Savior God. Yahweh is salvation. So this is the Christ presented. So who is he? Real quickly. Well, this is who he is. He's Christ who delivers and redeems us. That's who he is. He's Christ who delivers and redeems us. Look at uh, verses uh, 6, whatever. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 13 and 14, thank you. He is the one that has brought redemption. He is the one who, who has redeemed us. And not only has he brought redemption, not only has he bought us back from the penalty of sin, but even the, even the practice of sin in our life, he, is, he has brought us out of all of that. He's delivered us from a life that, quite honestly, is just a mess without him. I don't even remember who I was telling this to this week, and I, and I don't know why, why it came up in the course of a conversation, and let me just say, this was not one of my prouder moments, okay? But this was before I came to know Christ. But I can remember, uh, as a young man, uh, late teenage years maybe, or I can't, late teenage years, I'm sure it was, being out with a group of guys one night, and, and we were drinking, and, and, and I was drunk. And I can remember, we, we went out to so it's hard for my son to hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And we were out at, Kissimmee, at the Kissimmee River Bridge, which, you know, you just got to be there. It's out in the middle, and it was one particular bridge out in the middle of nowhere, and it's a very high bridge. It's, it's, I think it's 70, 75 feet at its highest point uh, above the Kissimmee River Bridge. It's like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and I can remember just in a drunken stupor getting up and, they, and, and some of these bridges, at least back then in Florida, they made these little concrete railing things that they just put up a little bit that in no way is going to stop a car. I think it's going to act like a ramp. It's going to shoot them off <laughs> into, the, into the water. But I can remember, and this thing's about this wide, and I can remember getting up there and walking from one side of that bridge to the other in the middle of the night, pitch darkness, drunk out of my head. How I survived it is you can only attribute it to the grace of God. But that's the kind of stuff God has delivered me from. That's what I'm telling you. It's not just, it's not just the penalty of sin. That's awesome. But the very power of sin and the practice of sin, God is, is, is breaking out of my life. He's Christ, the Redeemer. And He's Christ, the Deliverer. Look at these verses. Look at Romans and all are justified freely by His grace through the, what's that word? Say it. Redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Look at this one, Ephesians chapter 1. In Him we have, what's that word? Say it. Redemption. Say it again, because I didn't like the way you said it. There you go, thank you. (laughs) In Him we have redemption through His, what? Through His blood. Through his sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Look at this one, uh, 1 Peter, I think it is. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. That's what I'm talking about. He's not only redeemed, he's delivered. From your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. One more. 1, Corinthians, or 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He is deliverer and redeemer. This is, that, this is the Christ that's presented to the church in Colossae and presented to you and me. He's not only deliverer and redeemer, but here's another idea. He is Christ who empowers us. Verse 10, I think it's verse 10 and 11 Watch this, so that you may walk, Now we read all this a moment ago, we read 1 through 14, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Watch this, strengthened with, what's that next little word? All. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously. Listen, some of the most frustrated people I've ever met in my life are the people that claim Christ but live with with very little of His power in their life. Some of those frustrated people I meet are the people that are trying to do the Christian life. And if you figured out yet that you can't do the Christian life, have y'all figured that out yet? Because I'm telling you something, you can't do it. The power of God has to do this thing in us. Or you will be frustrated and, and, and you will at some point say, well, I don't even know what the use of this stuff is. He empowers us to do what only He can do through us. That's what Christ said. Oh, well, you know, it's a. Uh, I was thinking of oh, this. This is amazing. We live in an age. You and I live in an age where, you know, almost every technological advancement is, is amazing. I mean, isn't it amazing? I, I don't even know what they're going to come out with <laughs> next. And I'm kind of, you know, I love to. I don't, I'm not real good at it, but I love to look at all this techie stuff. And I was talking uh, to Brian Osberg this week uh, on our iPhones. We were discussing some sort of computer issue, and we were doing. Uh, is it FaceTime? Is that, is that the name of it? Where we can, we can look at each other, FaceTime, you know? Like, it's like Skype, but on steroids. I mean, it's like a billion times better. And, you know, he's got the front and rear camera, and, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and, and it's just it's unbelievable, you know? And we're like, uh, we're talking, and, and one of my grandsons, Dakota, uh, comes in, you know, and I said, you know, uh, you know I'm going to impress my grandson. I said, say, say, hi to, say hi to Brian. You know, I hold the camera down there, and he goes like, hi. And then you know, Dakota says, I-, I can go outside. I'll go outside. And Brian says, oh, you going outside? Yeah, okay. So he goes, so, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can, we can go outside. We can go everywhere. This is amazing. So I walk out my office door, and Wyatt's coming by. And, um, and I said, Wyatt, say hey to-, to Brian. And Wyatt says, hi. And uh, Brian says, are you going outside with Dakota? And Wyatt looks look- look at him the camera. He says, I have to go pee-pee. <laughs> <laughs> Technology, it's an amazing thing. It- but we have every, we can, in, we can indulge in every, everything. And have you noticed how many unhappy people there are in the world? I mean, have y'all really just stopped and, you know, one of the reasons I tell you about the seven challenges, part of the seven challenges, I say, pray that God would give you eyes to see people the way he sees them, ears to hear them the way he hears them, and a heart to care about them the way he cares about them. Because if you just slow down, there's a, there's a lot of unhappy people in the world. Or they're either in in a state of unhappiness or in their state of trying to figure out how to fill their unhappiness. we got everything, everything that we could possibly imagine, and yet it's it's not enough. Of course, Solomon told us this thousands of years ago. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says this, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I can't even catch it. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and he put his hands to all these, and I'll, okay, well, I can't find it in stuff, so I'll do this stuff. I'll, I'll build great buildings. I'll, I'll, I'll do all these kinds of things. When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Can I tell you this? Christians ought to be the happiest most joyful, most fulfilled, most purposeful people that there are. And yet, so many professing followers of Christ are frustrated in their lives, they're anxious, they're stressed out, they're worried. Now, there can be a lot of Contributing causes to that, ladies and gentlemen. But part of the contributing cause oftentimes is simply the fact that they have failed to connect into the very power that dwells within them if they know Christ as their Savior. He empowers us. That's who this Christ is that's presented. And one final idea uh, this morning. He is Christ who changes us. (laughs) Like I said earlier, I'm so glad He is the God who changes us. Uh, Look at this in the opening verses there chapter 1. He says, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, praying always for you. What's this? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world Also, it is constantly, watch this, bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. I love that particular part of the passage because Paul says, Hey, hey, listen, I've heard about you, Colossians. I've heard about that faith that you have. I've heard about that love that you have. I've heard about the fruit that is being borne out in your life, just as it is all over the world, wherever the gospel is going. I've heard about the changes in your life. Hey, you Colossians, y'all, you're not the same people that you used to be. God is changing you. That's what God does. That's, that's who God is. He's a change. He's the change agent. He takes us from where we are to where he wants us to be. In that place where we find fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and contentment. And purpose. That's who he is. It's what he does. Some of you may uh, know the name Nicky Cruz. You may not. Nicky Cruz was a young man growing up on the streets of New York City. Uh, he was the leader of a gang in New York City known as the Mau Mau's. Nicky Cruz, had, even at a very young age, was already an experienced mugger, thief. Uh, a young man, a young preacher... Entered God's call one day to go and preach Christ in the inner city of New York. A young man named David Wilkerson. His story is made famous in the book and later the movie, The Cross and the Switchblade. Wilkerson encountered Nicky Cruz one day and, and his gang. And he told Nicky that God loved him and that he loved him as well. By Nicky's own account, he reacted by slapping David Wilkerson and threatened to kill him. And Wilkerson said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces, but every single piece will still say, God loves you. About two weeks later, Nicky Cruz heard that Wilkerson was going to be having a crusade in a boxing arena there in New York City. And so he decided to go down there with some of his gang members, and they're going to teach this young preacher a lesson. Go down there and, and just wreak havoc, do uh, whatever. But Nicky Cruz says that when he got there and when he, when he heard the word of God being proclaimed, in, in his words, he said, I began to feel bad about the things that I had done in my life. And to his amazement, during the course of the service, uh, David Wilkerson asked to take up an offering, and he asked the Mau Mau's to oversee the taking up of the offering. And uh, as the story goes, uh, Nicky Cruz and the Mau Mau spread out and uh, kind of forced everybody to give an offering uh, that, that day. Nicky Cruz says, when he, he, when he went backstage, he took the money backstage, he said there was an exit, and, he, and, he, and he, for a second he thought, I'll just get out this door and I'll just take this money with him. But this is what he said, he said he, just, he, said he, was, he was stopped by the fact that somebody would trust him. That night, Nicky Cruz gave his life to Jesus Christ and eventually began his own ministry, became a preacher, converting other people in inner city New York and around the world. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's the Christ who changes us. Charles Coulson was a hot shot attorney and rising political star in the 1960s and 70s. Chosen as special counsel to the President of the United States. At a very young age. Special counsel to the President of the United States, Richard Nixon. But it all came crashing down, as some of you know. When he was indicted in the Watergate scandal and Charles Colson went to prison. Where he met Jesus Christ. And Charles Colson has spent the rest of his life trying to reach other prisoners. And has a worldwide ministry. And has touched millions of lives. That's what he does. That's who he is. He's Christ. He changes us. Stephen Baldwin was a self-confessed Hollywood bad boy, enjoying some of the successes of of his labors until his wife hired a Brazilian housekeeper who sang songs about Jesus all day as she worked. And Stephen's wife, Kenya, came to faith in Christ first, followed by Stephen about a year later. Later, and today he has a ministry to extreme sports athletes. It's what he does, it's who he is. He's Christ, he changes lives. Clay Stevens was a 20 something young man with little purpose or direction in his life. He wasn't a gang member, he wasn't a hotshot lawyer, he certainly wasn't a Hollywood bad boy. He was A married man trying to raise kids and pay a mortgage. And I was just as lost as any of them. And Christ changed me. It's who he is. It's what he does. He changes us. That's the Christ that's presented in Colossians. He's the one who delivers and redeems us. He's the one who empowers us. And he is the one who changes us. Have you been changed by Christ?
0: Christ presented. He certainly was. The Apostle Paul wasted no time as he opens his letter and almost immediately begins to walk us through who Jesus Christ really is and what it is that He has done. He's redeemed and delivered us. He empowers us. And He changes us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A.
1: Today's Q&A looks like this. Interesting question. What does the Bible say about... People who go to a church that doesn't have an invitation, they declare Jesus as Savior. Are they saved? Now, uh, what I'm assuming that this question is asking is that in churches that perhaps are not uh, considered maybe evangelical, um, churches where, where uh, perhaps someone grows up, children grow up and they are maybe confirmed into the church at a, at a certain age, um, where, there's, where there's never actually some type of decision type thing made. Are those people saved? Is it, the, the, you know, if, if you don't have an altar call, an invitation, a time at the end of the service where people can respond to it? Interesting question. Well, uh, I thought probably the best way to deal with the question is to first ask the question, well, what does it take to be saved? What is involved in that? And um, I, I want to go back. to I've used this several weeks now. And since I came up with it, I might as well wear it out for a while. Uh, and and kind of walk you through. What does it take to be saved? Well, first off, it takes this. It takes the recognition that we have a problem. That each of us has a problem. Everybody has to understand they have a problem. Because, as the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all and sinned, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or bad you think you are it doesn't it's uh, the pope billy graham my grandmother me all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of god's standard that's the problem the problem brings with it a penalty the penalty is this for the wages of sin is say it with me death death it's not only talking about physical death, the, the sin curse entered the world when, when Adam and Eve sinned. We have death, we have decay, we know that. But, but it, in Romans there, Paul's more referring to spiritual death, separation from God. That's the penalty for the problem that all of us have, which is sin. Fortunately for us, Uh, There was a payment made, and it looks like this in Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Uh, He made payment for us. We had a problem. That problem brought a penalty, but God made payment for us by Christ dying in our stead to pay a bill that we could never pay ourselves. And because of that payment, we have a promise. And the promise looks like this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. So the promise is when I place my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross... It, recognizing my sin, recognizing my problem, recognizing the penalty and believing that he made payment for me. When I confess that, when I declare that, when I say, Jesus, I, I, you're Lord of my life. I want you to save me from my sins. The promise is that I am saved. I am I'm redeemed. We'll talk more about that today. Uh, I am adopted into the family of God. And... Um, uh, Dr. Eric Clary uh, made a very good point a couple of weeks ago uh, when, he, when I happened to mention this another time. He said, you know, really there's another, uh, another part of that. And he's absolutely right. And it's understanding that this salvation is for a purpose. And that looks like this in Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Here it is. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There's a purpose to your salvation. And and I hate to break it to you. But it's not just so you can miss hell. It's so that God actually has purposes and plans for your life. that, That are both now and into eternity. So. That's what it takes to be saved. Here's, here's, so as a result of that, here's how I see this. Here's, here's what it means. It looks like this. It doesn't have to be during an invitation. It doesn't necessarily have to be, salvation doesn't necessarily have to come during an invitation. But everyone must respond to the invitation. Over and over and over again in the pages of God's Word, you find God inviting people to come to Him. No more beautifully than the last invitation, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. God moves and speaks into our hearts and our lives, and you and I must respond to that in our lives. No, it doesn't have to be a formal invitation, but when God invites, we have to respond to that. And it doesn't even have to be in a church, but it does make us part of the church, the body of Christ. Uh, Paul in his letter to the second letter to the Corinthians, I'm sorry, apparently his first one, give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. The implication is uh, you're either a Jew, or Greek meant a non Jew, a, a, a Gentile, or you're part of the body of Christ. Uh, th- that's it. When you come to Christ, you are a part of His very body. So it doesn't have to be a formal invitation, it doesn't even have to be in a church. I've known of people who have gotten saved um, uh, on the highway, I've known people who have gotten saved in, in bathrooms, I've known people. So it doesn't have to be that, but here's what I would say, it does have to be a personal, individual decision. No one can make it for you, the church can't make it for you, your parents can't make it for you. Each of us has to come to that place in our lives where we say yes to Christ and receive Him as our Lord and our Savior. Because He is worthy, we've come to worship Him